Welcome to Sports Spectrum, the sports and faith podcast that brings Jesus back into the conversation. Here's your host, Jason Romano. This episode of the Sports Spectrum podcast with Lauren Williams, Olympic gold medal winner, is brought to you by Compassion International. It's $38 a month, and it's a chance for you to release a child from poverty. We're always wondering, how can we make that difference? How can we help? How can we truly know the money that we give is going to help, is going to make a difference? And that's where Compassion International comes in. The most trusted child development ministry in the world is Compassion International. For more information, check out the website, Compassion.com slash Sports Spectrum. Compassion.com slash Sports Spectrum. And consider releasing a child from poverty today. Today on the podcast, we welcome Olympic gold medal winner Lauren Williams to the show. Lauren is a four-time Olympian and a three-time Olympic medalist. She won the 2004 Olympic silver medal in Athens as a sprinter. She won the 2012 Olympic gold medal in London. And she'll share that story on exactly how she won that medal. And then in 2014, she won an Olympic silver medal in the Winter Olympic Games as a bobsledder in Sochi. It's a fascinating story of how she became both a summer and winter Olympian. She's one of only five athletes to have won a medal in both the summer and winter Olympics and the first American woman to ever do so. She also has a new book out called The Oval Office, which was released March 26th, 2019. And her story is really, really fascinating, especially becoming an Olympian in both the Winter and Summer Olympic Games, but even more so her faith and how her faith really uh, grew after a very poignant moment of her losing her dad in, uh, in 2008. Lauren Williams is our guest here on the podcast. Take a listen to our conversation here at Sports Spectrum. Lauren, welcome to the show. It is so good to be on the show today. Thanks for having me, Jason. It's great to have you on the podcast, Lauren. Your story is fascinating. One as both a summer and winter Olympic medal winning athlete. And before we dive into that part of the story, and I definitely want to talk about that, let's start with your newest venture as an author. The book is called The Oval Office. Tell us about it and why you decided to write this book. Yeah, so... <laughs> The Oval Office is my gift back to the sport of track and field. So track and field gave a lot to me um, and helped me just, you know, be a better person at life. So I wanted to figure out, like, what way could I contribute something back to the sport? And there's no guide to being a professional athlete as it pertains to track and field. So everybody knows how the NFL works and the NHL and, you know, all the big sports. But a lot of people don't even realize that in the Olympic sports that there is an opportunity to be a professional and that this is the way that most athletes are making their money. Um, this is what we do for a living for the period of time we compete in it. So I wanted to create a guide for the athletes to understand better what to do. So from hiring an agent to, you know, choosing a new coach, where to live in the country, organizing your finances appropriately, because you're going to get some really nice earnings for a really short period of time. Um, and you've got to be prepared for that next step of what life after sport is going to bring. And so being responsible with the finances on the front end is a really important thing and getting yourself organized there. Uh, 
all about traveling, you know, what to do with jet lag when you get to Europe for the first time. Um, you name it, I tried to make sure I encompass it in the book, you know, just based on the experiences that I had while I was competing as a professional athlete. What's been the reaction early on? What kind of feedback have you gotten on the book? It's been a really warm uh, reaction. Like I said, people are very grateful because, like I said, there is no tool. So when you fill a gap and uh, people realize that you fill the gap, then they get really excited. So it's kind of spreading via word of mouth of, you know, I read it. It's really great. I think that, you know, so-and-so needs to read it. Uh, you know, people have been really vocal on social media about sharing about it. And it's been really great to just see the love of all the other um, athletes and other people that are fans of the sport participating and, um, you know, chipping in to kind of spread the word about it. Because, you know, it's a really niche market. You know, I wasn't expecting to be a New York Times bestseller. But like I said, it was really important that the, the industry of track and field have this resource available to them. I think it's great. And I love the idea that you want to provide a resource for your fellow athletes and kind of teach what you uh, what you learned in your experience. I think there's a lot of people who might be listening to that might not realize that you can be a professional track and field athlete when most people may associate track and field with the Olympics. Explain how you can be a professional and actually make money as a track athlete. Yeah, so as track and field athletes, we get uh, money from sponsors. So uh, like I said, what's different from the NFL world versus or, you know, the other big professional sports that people know about is um, we have to depend solely on the sponsors, whereas in those industries you get, you know, W-2 income, you're an employee of the team, and then your sponsorship is extra money. In this situation, it is not where uh, you've got you got any guaranteed income unless you get a sponsor. So the first thing you've got to do is go out and secure a sponsor, and at that point uh, you now are a professional athlete. You now have some income you can count on, and then you got to go out and get prize money. You know, then there's bonuses and incentives and things that you can earn. Um, depending on the caliber athlete you are, there are also appearance fees that you can get. So that's kind of the way that we make money. There's four different options as, as far as, like, how inflows can come, come in. But you got to really figure out first thing first is to get the sponsor, and the sponsor has to be interested. Makes complete sense. Lauren Williams is our guest here on the Sports Spectrum podcast olympic gold medal winner lauren we love to hear people's testimonies especially first-time guests on this podcast share with us your testimony your faith journey and where you began to develop a relationship with the lord yeah so uh i grew up in a, a churchy household if you will uh where my grandmother was kind of beating us over the head with the bible and you know when when it's forced on you you're a little bit resistant to it and especially at a time period when you're not, you don't really understand, you know, what is this Jesus thing that everybody's talking about? Um, but my dad actually like kind of took a step away for a while. And, you know, my dad was a cool dad and I was like, thank goodness we don't have to go to church with grandma anymore. And then he got really <laughs> sick. <laughs> yeah. he, he got really sick and, you know, it brought him back to his upbringing and, you know, depending on, um, the Lord and, and, you know, really strengthened his relationship with Christ. So, um, through that, he then started to be the one beating us over the head with the Bible. And once again, I was like, oh, man, like this stinks. You know, we would do like family Bible studies after dinner and um, maybe just kind of like being forced into something. And it's like because some, because I said so versus because, you know, the love of Jesus is really good and you're, and you're going to really, um, you know, in, enjoy all that God has to offer. Uh, so 
the journey, if you will, comes from, you know, me being a little bit rebellious and not really being interested in following initially uh, because of the way um, Christ was presented to me to uh, at one point, my dad was driving us to a church about an hour and a half away. And, you know, we stay all day there and then we have an hour and a half ride home. And I just really, really hated that. So I got the bright idea to find my own church so that as long as I was meeting the requirement of going to church, then I wouldn't have to go with them anymore. So the church opened up a block away from my house. Uh, and I started going to that church at like eight o'clock in the morning. So before the whole family even got up, I had gone to church, come home and, you know, was ready to do whatever I wanted for the rest of my day. So <laughs> it was a strategy initially, but yeah. I actually started to learn and grow on my own at that church and um, really de- develop my own relationship with God uh, in the midst of that. And that's kind of where the journey with Christ began for me. You mentioned your dad, Lauren, and I know how much he meant to you and I know how much his, his death impacted you. But I also know from a faith perspective, that was a pretty poignant moment for you. Can you go a little deeper and share a little more about what happened as far as your journey of faith in Christ uh, in the aftermath of your father's passing? Yeah, so my dad passed away in 2008, and, um, you know, it was really tough time because, like I said, uh, you know, I was a daddy's girl, but then on top of that, uh, he was the one that kind of like, you know, the series of events is what prompted me to to be led to Christ. And then I, I knew and I understood that, uh, there was nothing more that he would want than uh, for me to continue my walk. Uh, but I also kind of pulled away because I was like, you know, my dad's gone. Um, and, you know, the, the void that you feel when a loved one leaves you is something that it's really hard to describe to people. It's something you have to experience for yourself before you can actually understand what it is. Yeah. Um, and so there was a period of time where I just felt, you know, very alone and, um, didn't feel like I had a, uh, you know, a father at all. And then I realized like, you know, all of my upbringing, like, you know, we talk about God watching over you and, you know, God being the father. And then I looked at, you know, my father watching over me and it kind of came this like culminating moment where I realized like, Oh, uh, you know, I don't have this one father watching over me. Now I have two. And, you know, this is a really good opportunity to start um, thinking about the fact that, everything you're doing and everything that you're becoming is being seen by both fathers. Um, and so in what light do you want to be shown Lord? And in what example do you want to have? What do you want to give back to this world? What, you know, what is your purpose? Um, so I think him passing away, you know, like I said, it, it caused me to, to bear a little bit, but it also, uh, has always, like he's always been in my life to, to bring me back to God. Mm, it sounds like seeds were planted that really started to take shape for you. I wonder, as you became an athlete and started this Olympic journey, uh, tell me about how your faith played a role in the way that you approached going after that uh, that journey of becoming an Olympic athlete and, and being an elite athlete and where faith played a role in that and how it plays a role in that. Yeah, um, so faith has been a really big part of my journey as an athlete because um, I feel like I was gifted this talent by God. And in order to exercise the best way to, um, to, to like shine a light on the world and, and to be a light for God, it was like, you give me this gift of running, so how do I glorify you while doing this thing? So that was one thing because I went through this like time period where I had to figure out like what does it mean to glorify God through sport and how does that actually happen 
Um, because sometimes you feel like what you're doing is pretty insignificant in, in comparison to the work of others. You know, I'm not in ministry. I'm not doing missionary work. You know, I'm not a cancer doctor. Like, and you start worrying about all the things you're not as opposed to uh, focusing on what your gift is and how you can use it to, um, like you said, to continue to make, let God's life shine. Mm. Lauren Williams is our guest here on the podcast. At what point, Lauren, in this journey, did you realize that the Olympics could be a possibility for you? Um, so I was a junior in college, and I ran the second fastest time in the world at the college national championship. I did not have any opportunity to really plan ahead to say, I want to be an Olympian. I'm going to be an Olympian. It just happened to be 2004. Um, it was the Olympic year, and immediately I was the fastest American um, in the world. Well, the fast, yeah, I was the fastest American in the world. That doesn't make sense. But I was the second fastest person in the world going into the Olympic trials. So it wasn't something I had really planned for, but it was something that happened, and I, I had to just get ready to uh, be excited about it and, and move forward. I love that. And now you've had so many wonderful Olympic memories, and your Olympic journey is quite unique, having participated in both the Summer and the Winter Olympics. Tell us about your favorite, maybe your your favorite Olympic memory in that first Olympics that you were able to participate in. Um, I would say my first Olympics, the, the biggest memory would be having my family there. So um, the, the city really got behind me and there was like a lot of fundraisers to make sure that my family could come because, like I said, it caught all of us off guard. So no one had planned for a big vacation in Athens, Greece. Um, tickets are really expensive. You know, the flights and everything like that go up anyway because it's there was a big Olympic event happening. And so um, yeah. there was fundraisers done in both Detroit and in Pennsylvania so that uh, my mom and my dad, we ended up taking eight family members total um, at the expense of others who donated so that my family could be there to support me in my first Olympic Games. And just to see that, like, you know, the love and the community and, like, how much this meant to everybody around me was a really, really cool opportunity and experience. That was the 2004 Olympics in Athens, and I know you won a silver medal there. In 2012, you won a gold medal in London. Can you take us through that, what that moment was like to win a gold medal? Well, it was bittersweet, I have to be honest, because um, I didn't run the final race in London. So initially, uh, so I'll go back a little bit. In 2004, I was part of the 4x1 relay, and we had a box handoff that didn't allow us to um, actually you know, finish the race. So we, there was no option to win a medal. And then 2008, we had a similar incident where, um, you know, fastest team was on a drag. We were expected to break the world record. And once again, box handoff didn't allow us to get there. Um, so it was really, really frustrating for me to have been a part of two teams at the Olympic Games that could have been world record teams in addition to gold medal teams um, and not have gotten that stick around the track. So there was a lot of pressure and a lot of nervousness around the 2012 games because, you know, we didn't want to have a three-peat of that. Um, and so it was important that I created the energy for the team that we had good chemistry so that we weren't in a situation where we are going to have a botched handoff. Um, and like I said, I had gotten six at the U.S. Nationals that year, so I wasn't going to be one of the top runners to, like I said, go ahead and compete or to participate in the final. Um and so when we won that gold medal, it was, like I said, it was bittersweet in the sense that, of course, you know, I was excited because I got to, you know, do my part and contribute, but I wanted to be the person out there on the track. And especially after the two times of, 
not having um, gotten to stick around, I wanted that opportunity for redemption. But after I took a little bit of time to think about it and really understand, I realized all the contributions that I made. And I did run the preliminary round, which is really important because if there's no preliminary round, there can't be a final round. Um, so I started looking at like the way that everything played out and the way that God set me up to be ready for this moment. Um, because I was a veteran of the team. I did a lot of talking to the girls, making sure that communication was in good order, that chemistry was in um, order, because without those things, you can't get that stick around the track. And then I, you know, kind of reframed my mind and realized, like, that the contribution I made, you know, did make me, in fact, a gold medalist, just the same as the girls who competed in the final race. Did you have one of those oh, wow, look who else is here type of moment at the Olympics, like meeting, a, you know, one of those all-time, big-time uh, athlete names. I don't know, Michael Phelps or LeBron James or anybody like that. Did you have one of those, wow, look who else is here moment at the Olympics? I didn't have one of those moments because I feel like, you know, we're all Olympians. So everybody's the best of the best in their sport. And I just feel really grateful to be able to, you know, get to the elite level and to be able to compete at the elite level. And I really respect, you know, everybody who competes in their various sports, but no one is a celebrity. to me. Um, and I think it's really important, you know, as it pertains to like not having idols and things like that, um, to not get all wrapped up yeah. in the, the celebrity of it all, to realize that there's a human being on the other end of uh, the, the name LeBron James or the name Michael Phelps, um, you know, and, you know, there's a real person behind that. So I try to treat everybody as like, I see you. Um, I see you as a person and I don't see you as just like a picture to take to, you know, put on my Instagram sort of thing. Um, you know, because that's how I want to be treated. I want to be treated like a person. Uh, no, that's really good. That's really good. A couple more questions here with Lauren Williams. I, please share with us the story of how bobsledding became something that you began to not only take seriously, but end up participating in, in the Olympics after being a track and field runner for so many, for so many years. Yeah, nothing but the Lord. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I was at the airport uh, headed to a race in, um, in Rome and I ran into a girl named Lolo Jones um, who had done sure. bobsled the previous year. And I was just asking her about her experience. And, you know, I'd read an article about her trying it and I thought it was pretty interesting um, and she's like, Lauren, you need to get into it. You need to try it. It's going to be wonderful. And I was like, like, well, how do you even like try it? You know, and I'm thinking, you know, life after sport, because um, I'm in my last year of track and field at this point. And she's like, the Olympics are in six months. You got to get to the the, uh, the tryouts immediately so that you can get going. And I'm like, the Olympics? I'm not trying to go to the Olympics and bobsled. Like, I just thought it'd be something cool to do after, you know, now that I'm done with track to stay busy. And she's like, no, Lauren, you can make the Olympic team and you need to get signed up like ASAP. So that's what I did. Um, and then kind of the rest was history. Over the next six months, uh, a really steep learning curve uh, ensued, but I managed to figure it all out and I earned a silver medal. I mean, one of five athletes to have won a medal in both the Summer and Winter Olympic Games, as well as the first American woman to ever do so. Tell me the difference between the winter and the summer Olympics, certainly the obvious ones of a sport that you've only been doing for a few months versus a sport that you've been probably working on your whole life, but just the differences in the dynamics of participating in a summer versus a winter Olympics. I mean, the biggest thing that stood out to me was, you know, the size of the team, the intimacy and the, the different culture of winter versus summer. So I always give the example that the tracking team, I believe is, was 182 people. Um, it's a track and field team by itself, by the U.S. track and field team by itself, 
with the Winter Olympics, the whole Team USA for all sports was 230. So, wow. you know, scale-wise, scale you know how many sports there are in the Summer Olympics. You know, there's, there's just a gargantuan number of people all over the place, um, which makes for a lot more interesting, you know, situation, a lot more um, people to meet and things to see and do. Uh, but I really enjoyed the intimacy that I got from being on the winter team and getting to know a lot more people from Team USA than I uh, normally would. And then also um, from all the other different sports, because it was, it was just like such, everything was on such a smaller scale. You could hang out in the, you know, the cafeteria and meet 30, 40 people that you would see and, you know, kind of expand your group and kind of build a relationship in that period of time. The other thing that stands out to me is just uh, the team aspect of it. So, you know, track is a very individual sport with the exception of the relay. Um, and even with the relay, you're taking four individuals and putting them together, um, which is why we sometimes have trouble with chemistry and stuff. But bobsled is a team sport. And it's not just a team sport in the sense that two people compete together and, and they're a team. It's a team sport in the, in the sense that there are three different sleds. Um, there are six brakemen for those three different sleds, even though we only need three brakemen. Um, so we're alternating in and out. You're in one sled one week. You're in the other sled the other week. You're just a practice person for a whole week at a time. And so you really get to learn and understand what it means to be a team player um, and, and to do your part to contribute to something um, that's not just about, like you said, you being the performer, you being the one out there competing. Um, and I think, you know, uh, 2012 and that experience that I was explaining earlier kind of set me up to be a good team player for Bobsled. Mm. Lauren Williams has been our guest here on the Sports Spectrum podcast. Really been enjoying this this story and your journey, Lauren. I, last question here as we let you go. I always appreciate this. Uh, the answers that we get on this question that we ask pretty much to all of our guests here on Sports Spectrum. What are you learning today from God? What is he teaching you in the season of life that he has you in now an author and just all the great things that you're doing. What is God teaching you today? God is teaching me today to be still. Um, I'm doing a poor job of listening to him, but I'm hearing him loud mm. and clear. And I'm knowing that I need to get obedient before I burn out. So um, like you said, I'm wearing quite a few hats right now. I'm on the USA track and field um, athlete advisory committee. I'm, like you said, the book has just come out. I've been touring around for that. Uh, I run my own financial company where I help young professionals organize their finances. So that's kind of my main gig. Uh, mm. uh, wife, dog owner, you know, you name it. I'm wearing just, you know, every hat you can probably think of. I do a lot of professional speaking. Um, and, you know, I, I realize that I, I really try to stay busy, you know, life after sport uh, because I'm trying to like feel this sense of accomplishment, you know, like, like you were always working towards something when you're competing. And it's like, now it's, it feels like, I'm like, what am I working towards? So I got to do all these things to feel like I'm working towards something that's good enough. Um, and God is saying, be still. Uh, you don't have to be all things to all people. Um, you need to focus on one thing, that one thing being me. Um, and through me, you can pick the next thing that you're going to do to continue to glorify me. So be still and focus on one thing. She is Lauren Williams, four-time Olympian, three-time Olympic medalist. In 2004, she was the fastest American in the world. She's also the author of the book, The Oval Office. Lauren, thanks so much for joining us. It's been really fun to get to know you, to hear your story, and we wish you nothing but the best. Thanks so much for having me. And many thanks to Lauren Williams for joining us here on the Sports Spectrum Podcast, the four-time Olympian for Team USA, who's now helping athletes and young professionals organize their finances. And uh, that's a pretty cool thing that Lauren's doing. You can check out the website, worth-winning.com. 
Com, worth-winning.com and her website lauren-williams.com you can give her a follow on twitter at lauren c williams lauren is doing great things post-olympic career and did great things during her athletic career and just grateful for her and thankful that she joined us here on the sports spectrum podcast we're also thankful to our Sponsors, Compassion International, the most trusted child development ministry in the world. Here's what happens when you and I make that decision to sponsor a child. Food, education, medical care, vocational training. Every child involved with Compassion receives that through the $38 sponsorship. Food, education, medical care, vocational training. We take those things for granted here in the United States, don't we? The food, definitely. Education, just kind of a something that's going to happen. Going to school every day. Vocational training. If we want that, we're going to get that. Education, I mean, that kind of thing, man. Those are things that we take for granted. And this is a chance at $38 a month that you can make a difference in a child's life by sponsoring them and providing them with access to all of those things. Here's the website, compassion.com slash sports spectrum. Check out the website. You'll see a list of children. Pray about it. Consider sponsoring a child and releasing them from poverty. $38 a month. Go to compassion.com slash sports spectrum and sponsor a child today. Thanks to Lauren Williams for being here on the podcast. We want to direct you guys to our website, sports spectrum dot com and check out all of our articles there lots of great content all telling the stories on the intersection of sports and faith daily devotionals every morning at 6 a.m monday through friday right there on the website and you can also check out every single podcast as well over at sportspectrum.com and lastly our magazine our quarterly magazine it's just 18 dollars for an entire year 18 bucks that's it for our sports spectrum magazine a quarterly magazine it's a really awesome sort of tool that you can put in your hand and give to someone easy way to tell people about jesus through sports it's such a great way subscribe today go to sportspectrum.com for 18 bucks subscribe to the sports spectrum magazine thanks for listening and we'll see you next time here on the sports spectrum podcast have a great rest of your day love you guys we'll see you soon